Hey, welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you. And there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through life groups and pocket churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 31. 2 Chronicles 31. If you don't have a traditional Bible, just raise your hand and someone will bring you one that you can either borrow, you can keep, it's our gift to you, or you can take your smart device and open up the U version, or it's called the Bible app. And everything that you're going to see on the screens behind me, other than pictures and videos, have already been uploaded. And so you can follow along with that. If you're watching us live on our online campus, or you're one of our many, many services at the Brown County Correctional Facility. Love you guys. So glad you're a part of our family and super glad that you guys are a part of our family. I hope that you feel that. Like for Sunny and I, we feel like you guys are familia to us. Like you are part of our tribe of people and we love to see you every single week. And so we think about you all week and pray for you all week. And this week, I my thoughts a bit, my, I have a... Uh, a mind that when I start to think about something, it just stays on that, right? And so like, I'm a numbers guy. I don't know if you've seen that movie with Jim Carrey. It's super creepy, so don't watch it, but he gets this series of numbers in his mind and he writes them everywhere. That's me. Like I can get numbers in my mind and Sonny will look at me and my lips will be moving, but nothing will be coming out. She'll say, you're doing the number thing again, aren't you? I'll say, yeah. How did you know that? Because I'll be going 1736, 1736, 1736, 1736. I have no idea. Someday when I get to heaven, I'm going to find out it was literally Powerball numbers and God was telling me to play them. I don't know what's going on. Here's what I've had in my mind all week. I've had in my mind puzzles, puzzles. You ever put together a puzzle? They can either be fun or they can be frustrating. For some people, they're fun, but for me, they're totally frustrating. I think, why don't you just put the thing together and then I can put it up on my wall and yeah, it'll look like it has cracks and it. it'll be really cool. I can put it in a frame. Why are you making me do your job and put this puzzle thing together? So I totally don't get it. My mother-in-law gets it. My mother-in-law, Denise, is a puzzle person. She puts them together, boom, like that. And then she gives us her old puzzles, which we tell her we put together, but we don't. And so there's actually a term for that. When you're a person who puts puzzles together, you're actually called a puzzler. So technically, my mother-in-law is a puzzler. Believe it or not, there is a professional league. People are professional puzzlers. They make their living off of this. So if you always dreamed of being a professional athlete, but you were too short or too slow, guess what? There's still hope for you. You can be a pro bowl puzzler. It's, there's a world championship. It's called the WJPF. I'm not making this stuff up. So here's what I discovered this week. There are certain things that puzzling requires. It requires patience. It requires persistence. It requires precision. Every single piece has a place. And you cannot put the wrong piece in the wrong place. Sure, you can force the piece to fit, but then the puzzle will be flawed because puzzles require a plan. They require a process. And the best puzzlers in the world, which incidentally, America has won 14 of the last 25 world puzzle championships. hey <laughs> The best puzzlers are gonna tell you that the best process to puzzling is to put together the edge First, because it's the framework. 
And the framework creates the flow. And that flow allows everything to fit firmly into place. So today, I want to give you the framework that's going to help us to understand one of the most, ready for this? Puzzling questions that people ask about God. Dad joke, extreme. Here's today's question. Why isn't God blessing me? Let's pray. God, we love you. God, even though you have blessed us, like, exceedingly and abundantly more than we can even ask for. Sometimes it seems like you're not. So God, today for my friends who are here who are asking that question, I pray for absolute discovery to come into our minds. Reveal yourself to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is bonus material. This was not in the director's cut. This, this did not originally make the DVD. This is the bonus material, like the ones like when you watch a Will Ferrell movie and the best part is when you rent the DVD or you buy the DVD and it has this, like the cutout scenes on it. This was an add-on. This wasn't even supposed to be a part of the series. And so why isn't God blessing me? Everybody wants to be blessed, which if you know me, you know that my understanding of the word blessing is just like hook up. So like God is a God who loves to hook people up and we all want to get hooked up, but our vision is skewed when it comes to God. Far too often, we think of God like he's our sugar daddy. Or I like how Pastor Greg put it last week during the prayer time. He said, far too many of us think of God like he's a vending machine where we press like B6 or A9 and we think that God will just drop or dispense whatever it is that we ask him for. And, and then we even try to use his word as our reason for that rationale. Like I've heard so many people quote this scripture, well, God will give you the desires of your heart, which is true, but so many of us misunderstand what that scripture means. Like we either quote a portion of it or we don't quote the two sides of it. and We kind of pick and choose what it is we want to memorize or what it is that we want to regurgitate about God's word. And so many people think that what that means is that if I have a desire, say, for a Lamborghini, let's say, because all men probably want a Lamborghini. All I have to do is just pray and poof, Lamborghini. But guess what? Trust me, it doesn't work that way because I've prayed that prayer. I prayed that prayer yesterday and I woke up today and I still had a pickup truck in my garage. And someday I pray that I'm going to pray that God give me a Lamborghini and I want it to be flat black with baseball glove interior and that someday I'm going to wake up and poof, it's going to be there and the slip is going to be on the seat and I can put a license plate that says paid for by God, even though that's too many letters so that you guys won't hate on me when I drive up to the church. Oh, that's where all our tithes go. And so guess what? I know you want stuff. I know I want stuff, but that's not what that scripture means because here's what that scripture actually says. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And what that means is when you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you not your desires, He'll actually give you his desires. What that's saying is that he's going to make his desires your desires. He will shape your heart into his heart. So let me clarify, clear some stuff up. God does want to bless you, but there is a pattern. And that pattern comes from scripture. And scripture comes from a Jewish context. Because remember, this is a Jewish story written to Jewish people. It is written for us, but it is written to them. And so for you to clearly understand the context of the story, you've got to filter it 
through their understanding. And so from my observation of what I see in this scripture, we serve a very generous God. I think most people who you ask would tell you that they are generous people. Like if if I asked a hundred people in this room, if I said, would you consider yourself to be generous? 99-ish of those people would say, yeah, like I'm either, either I'm generous now or I have a deep desire to be generous. Like someday when I make more money, I'm going to give more stuff away, which you think is right, but isn't right. Because if you can't give stuff away when you don't have a lot, you're certainly not going to give stuff away when you have a lot. But most people, I mean, like no healthy person is going to say, nope, I don't want to be generous. I actually want to be greedy. Like most of us want to be generous, but generosity is really misunderstood. We think if I have two sandwiches and I give one sandwich away, that makes me generous. But in the Jewish context, that's not necessarily generosity. The Jewish people are some of the most generous people on earth. I mean, like if you look at... First of all, there's only 16 million Jews in the world. So there's 7 billion people on earth and such a small fragmentation of our society, our Jewish people. And then when you look at America, only 2% of our population is Jewish. But, but most of the most generous people on earth are Jewish people. In fact, when you look at mega givers, people, uh, uh, the definition of a mega giver is somebody who gives $10 million per year or more. 24% of all American mega givers are Jewish people. So when you think that 2% of the population is Jewish, but 24% are mega givers, like the offset of that is totally staggering. And the reason for that is because for Jewish people, People who this book is written about. Generosity isn't just financial. It is deeply spiritual. There is a Hebrew word, siddakah. And siddakah is where we get our English word that we translate into charity. But when we translate it into charity, the way we define it is that charity means giving money. More specifically, charity is defined by giving aid, assistance, or assets to the poor and needy or to worthy causes. But to the Jewish people, that's not what siddakah means. Siddakah at its root means justice, fairness, or righteousness. So in Judaism, giving to the poor is actually an act of righteousness. And righteous just means being in right standing with God. So their understanding scripturally is that to be in right standing with God requires that we give away a portion of our finances. In fact, according to Jewish tradition, the spiritual benefits of generosity are so great that a beggar actually does a giver a favor by giving them the opportunity to give. And so this week I was in Chicago and I got to meet two beggars. I mean, I met a lot of beggars, but I got to really meet two beggars. And I met two friends now named James and Wanda and I gave them money, but I got an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. I got an opportunity to pray with them. I spent about 
20 minutes with James and Wanda. He just did 11 years of a 22-year stretch. He's having a hard time getting a job. I got to hear the whole story. And then I met my other friend, new friend named Jermaine. His name is actually Jermaine Jackson. He has the name, but not the talent. And so he's out on the street and he just got out of prison. He's doing his thing. And, and so I looked at Jermaine and I just began to share with him some of the principles of how God blesses people. And I, I got to pray with him and I got to say, Jermaine, I love you, brother. And, you, and gave him some direction on where to go in Chicago to get help for his family. And James just broke, I mean, Jermaine just broke down in the middle of the street. And this was like, this guy was legit. Like he, he just spent 16 years lifting weights. He looked like me, but totally different. And so <laughs> he just starts to bawl in the middle of the street, right? He said, you're the first person who I've approached who has stopped and actually looked at me. The first person who stopped and wasn't afraid of me. And here's the thing. When we see people in need, we are skewed because we say things like, well, go get a job or, well, you're an able-bodied person or I don't want to enable you. Or we begin to judge people predicated upon what we think rather than upon what God thinks. And can I tell you that the Jewish people were no different? Like they understood that many of the people who asked for charity actually had no genuine need. But their book of civil laws called the Talmud, it views that as a good thing because to them, the existence of frauds diminishes their liability for failing to give to everybody who asks because to have a legitimate basis for doubting the beggar's sincerity suggests that we have been a blessing because if all people who asked for charity were in genuine need, we would actually be subject to punishment by God for our community having anybody in need. So when we think of generosity, we think it prompts God's blessing, but it's actually the opposite. God's blessing should prompt our generosity. I'm not blessed because I'm generous. I'm generous because I'm blessed because generosity is deeply spiritual. And Jewish people have a three-step process that we were meant to pattern our lives after. The first step is tithing giving God 10% of your income. And to them, tithing isn't negotiable. It is 100% non-negotiable because tithing actually isn't giving to God. All it is is returning to God what is already his. And I'm gonna talk about that more in just a couple of minutes. Second, Jewish people are required to give free will offerings three times a year. They give at Passover, which is the celebration of God sparing the Jewish people from the death angel. And you can read about that in the Old Testament. Then they have Shavuot, which is, the, like, is basically what we connect to the Feast of Pentecost. That's the celebration of when God gave the gift of his word to Moses on Mount Sinai. So when you read about the giving and the receiving of the Ten Commandments, they celebrate that every year. And then they have a celebration called Sukkot, which they just came out of. And that's the celebration of the time that God sheltered them while they were wandering the, you know, in the wilderness for 40 years. And you've heard the story. So for 40 years, they walked around and complained. But even though they complained about not being blessed, they were being blessed by God providing for them and housing them. And those three things are what St. Paul was talking about when he said, every one of us has to decide in our heart how much to give. He said, you don't give reluctantly in response to pressure because God loves people who give cheerfully. And Paul wasn't talking about the tithe. He was talking about these three required free will offerings, which seems like an oxymoron because how can I be required 
to give a free will offering. It's because it is the act that is free. It's not the act that's free will. It's the amount that's free will. And so what they do is three times a year, they sit down and they navigate in their mind how much they believe that God blessed them during that time period. And then over and above their tithes, they give this free will offering, okay? So they tithe, then they give free will offerings. Then anything they give over and above those two things is what they consider generosity, So when I hear people ask the question, why isn't God blessing me? I can say with 100% certainty, it is because they're not following the pattern that God laid out in scripture. And so I wanna spend the rest of our time talking about step one, because the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step, right? Being blessed is a process. And it requires precision and every piece has a place and you can't put the wrong piece in the wrong place. You need the framework that creates the flow that everything fits firmly into. And because St. Paul had another scripture and it said, you have excelled in everything except for your giving. And can I shamefully tell you that that scripture reminds me of our church. Because for the past five years, we have had consistent and absolute explosive growth. For the last four years in a row, our church has graciously been listed on the 100 fastest growing churches in America. And last week, they just released the list for last year, and we were placed number four, the fourth fastest growing church in America. But as our attendance has gone up, our giving hasn't kept up which can I tell you, that doesn't affect me. I don't work on commission. I don't like get paid more if more people get saved. I don't get paid more if more people get rescued from you know, bondage or whatever. Like I don't, my, my, my salary doesn't go up, but like I'm not in sales. Does that make sense? It doesn't affect me, but not giving totally affects you. And I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about step one. And I got 14 minutes to try to explain to you what tithing is. And this is... Probably the area where people struggle more than anything in their Jesus journey. And I've heard all the arguments. Tithing's not required. Tithing's not for today. Tithing's under the law, but I'm under grace. Tithing is only Old Testament. I can't afford to tithe. I'm not giving 10% of my money to a church. I don't understand tithing. Like that last one is the one that probably prompted this message. So, but rather than trying to answer the arguments, I thought I'd teach you what tithing is. Then I'm going to leave it in your hands and you get to determine whether you really want to be blessed or not. So here's the first thing tithing is. Tithing is a test. The word tithe simply means tenth. And that is not an arbitrary number. Throughout scripture, the number 10 represents testing. Like there's several different places in scripture that represent testing and I could go on and list them, Pharaoh and the plagues and the 10 commandments. And in Revelation, it talks about, you know, 10 days of testing. But like, you, I think you, I want you to understand that God developed tithing biblically to test us. But so many believers are like me in school where you walk in one day to class and like, huh, a test? 
today, there's a test. Today, even though the teacher wrote it on the board, and even though he sent you an email, and even though it was in the syllabus, and you know, even though he wrote you a handwritten birthday card that said, by the way, we've got a test on Tuesday, and some of you come into church, you're like, a test? We have to tithe? Even though Pastor Sonny gets up here literally every week, 52 weeks of the year, and she talks about tithing, and she talks about how you're supposed to do it. But you know, I, we get it. Some of you are still processing what I said, because I, you know, I talk fast. Some of you like, sometimes you sound like a rapper, and I can't keep up with what it is that you're trying to say and you're still googling something that I said on you know the three minutes into the message and you're like really the Packers play today and so you we lost you you we lost you at hello and so like you you we get it and so let me just tell you very clearly if you are a Jesus person you have a test that you're gonna have to take every couple weeks every time you get paid there is a test that you're gonna have to take and the main question on the text test is who are you going to thank first? The IRS, Wells Fargo, Ford Credit, Visa, yourself, we are being tested. But the test is a two-way test. Tithing is the only topic in scripture where God tells you to test him. In Malachi 3, he said, for I am the Lord, I do not change. With just that line right there tells you that this isn't just an Old Testament principle. He said, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your father, you have gone away from my ordinances. And ordinances are just like, that's where we get the word ordinary from. An ordinance is what God perceives to be ordinary behavior. I've given you these ordinances, the way that normal people are supposed to act, but you haven't kept them. Return to me. And if you return to me, I'll return to you, says God. But you said, in what way shall we return? And God said, will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. You said, in what ways have we robbed you? God said, in tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed from me even the whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That was the temple. That was the tabernacle. That was the modern day church, which means you can't give the first 10% of your money away to the United Way. You can't give that to the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts of America. You should give them money. But if you give them your money first, then it's out of order. He said, and if you bring your tithe to the storehouse, I'm gonna open the windows of heaven and unleash a blessing upon which you can never contain. And in that scripture, here's what God's saying. He's saying you have two options. You can either be blessed or you can be cursed. And the first step to being blessed is tithing. And the reason there's so much resistance to this is because the enemy doesn't want you to be blessed. His job is to have you be cursed. So tithing is a test. Here's the second thing tithing is. Tithing is biblical. And the amount of press, the amount of scripture that is dedicated to money is overwhelming. But God spent so much time talking about it in the Bible because he knew that you would spend so much time thinking about it in your life. I mean, really. How much of your life do you think about, dream about, stress about, worry about, talk about, argue about money. The number one cause for divorce in America is that people have arguments about money. How much of your day revolves around money? So much. And so the book is filled with verses about money from front to back. Genesis 14, it says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the most high God. He blessed him and he said, blessed be Abram, the most high of the God, most high possessor of heaven and earth. 
And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe of everything. Y'all, this was 500 years before the Jewish people even had the law, which means that tithing isn't a product of the law because it pre dates the law. In Leviticus 27, this is where Malachi determines that not tithing is stealing from God. He says, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is God's. It is holy to the Lord. Deuteronomy 26 says, and it shall be when you come into the land, which is the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. When you possess it, and when you dwell in it, you shall take some of the fruit of the produce of the ground you shall bring from the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. That's the church. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house and I have also given them to the Levite. That's the pastor. According to your commandment, which you have commanded me, I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it, what this is saying is I haven't spent any of the money, God, before I gave it to you. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. But this isn't just in the Old Testament. There's like, there is an Old Testament and a New Testament, but there isn't an old God and a new God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so Jesus comes along and he says, woe to you teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you are hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But watch this. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And so what Jesus was saying is you should be living right, but it's not enough just to live right. That's why people who say I was a good person, that's not the only way that people can go to heaven. Jesus said you should live right and you should tithe. Y'all, if that were the only verse in the whole book about tithing, I would tithe because the only one who delivered me from sin told me that I should, but it's not the only place. The book of Hebrews says, for this Melchizedek, this is like from the thing we just read about Abraham, king of Salem, priest of the most high God who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi's who received the priesthood, listen to this, have a commandment. Pastors, preachers, priests have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. That's from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But those who, who but, but he who, whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. I put, listen, I put my tithe in the bucket and men may remove it, but it's actually God who receives it. And so I tithe. And I tithe because it's biblical. So, so it is a test. It is biblical. Here's the third thing tithing is. Tithing is a benefit. Second Chronicles says this. And Hezekiah, that was the king, appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites. Those are the pastors. 
according to their divisions, each man according to his service, the priests and the Levites for burnt offerings and peace offerings to serve, to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. The king also appointed a portion of his possessions for the burnt offerings for the morning and the evening burnt offerings, the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and the new moons and the set feasts as it is written in the law of the Lord. Those are the other three things that we talked about. Moreover, the king commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to support the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. In other words, the king wanted the pastors to only be the pastors. He didn't want them to work other jobs. Listen, I have people who ask me all the time, what do you do all week? <laughs> I don't even have time to talk about that. You can't, let, let me just say this. Aren't you glad that your surgeon doesn't have another job? Aren't you glad that when you get to the ER and there's something wrong with you, they don't have to say, oh, the guy who knows what to do about that, he's still finishing his shift at Starbucks. It's going to be about six hours. And then when he gets off and when he does a few other things, then, then he's going to come in. And here's the thing. I know you think that surgery is important, but your spirit and your soul are more important. And so God defined it so that people who are called to do what I do are only supposed to do what I do. And so when you come in here and you tithe, you are funding what God is doing in the 920. You're funding life change. Over a hundred people have started their Jesus journey in the past two weeks. You're funding good marriages and kids being taken off of addiction. Miracles are happening every time you give. I don't even have time to get into the fact that right now we are, Life Church is negotiating with a medical debt company. And we are on the brink before Thanksgiving 2018. We think we are going to have the ability to eradicate all bad medical debt in all of the state of Wisconsin. When you give your tithes, those are the kind of things that happen because tithing is a benefit to others. Hallelujah. But more importantly, it's a benefit to you. Watch this. As soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, and of all the produce of the field, and they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. The children of Israel and Judah, who dwelt in the cities of Judah, brought the tithe of oxen and sheep, all the tithe of the holy things which were consecrated to the Lord. They laid in heaps. In the third, it took three months for them to bring. They had so much to give. It took three months. And then the king showed up and he looked at the pastors and he saw the heaps. He saw how much the tithe was. And he went to the pastors and he said, bro, what's up? That's my version. And Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered the king and he said, since the people began to bring the offerings to the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have plenty left for the Lord has blessed his people and what is left is the great abundance. He said to the king, as soon as they started tithing, they were overly blessed. And the pastor told the king, and this, these heaps that you see that took three months for them to pile them up, that's only the 10%. You should see how much they have. This is like, if this is the 10%, can you imagine the 90% that they got to keep? Because tithing is a benefit, not a burden. 
And when you tithe 10% of your income, every time you get to raise your tithe, the only reason you get to raise your tithe is because God raised your 90. But the question is, do you look at tithing like it's a burden or like it's a benefit? What's your framework? There's only two frameworks. You either have a framework of greed, which is all about acquiring goods, or you have the framework of generosity, which is all about activating God. Scripturally, you only have two options. Be generous or be greedy. Be blessed or be cursed. And I don't know about you, but I would rather be blessed. But being blessed is a process. And tithing is the first piece. When the puzzle is put together, the perspective is changed. Because the picture is complete. So I want to leave you with a picture that you can kind of chew on. Because I'm a, I'm a pictorial learner. I'm a visual learner. Let's pretend that me, Sean, for whatever reason, I, I, I was required to go away for a period of time. And so in my absence, I chose three individuals to take care of Pastor Sonny, my wife, and my kids. And so when I went away, I agreed with these three individuals that in my absence, I would send them every month $10,000. In return for that $10,000, all I need them to do is give Pastor Sonny $1,000 of that money. And for the incredible trouble of taking care of my wife, I will in turn allow them to keep $9,000 a month. Wouldn't that be a great job to get, right? What do you do for a living? I give $1,000 a month to this lady and I get paid $9,000 a month for that. It's a pretty simple deal. So I binge Netflix and this is all I do. And so after a few months... I'm going to call Pastor Sonny. I'm not going to ask her how it's going with the bread. How's it going with the money? And Pastor Sonny's going to say to me, well, you know, guy number one, boom, he's like clockwork. That thousand bucks is in my account the first of every month. That's, oh, shoot, my man, thousand bucks. She says, guy number two, even though he's only supposed to send a thousand, homeboy sends me $2,000 a month. I'm like, oh, shoot, my man. But then she goes on and says, which is a good thing. Because guy number three doesn't send me anything. I say, well, hold up. He, he doesn't send you any. Like I'm sending him money. He's not giving you any money. Like, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to do the same thing that every Wisconsin-blooded man is going to do to that. Well, I probably wouldn't do what all of you are going to do. But what I would do is I would cut him off. And the reason I would cut his money off is because I can't trust him because he's a thief. Because he's stealing from me. And not only is he stealing from me, he's stealing from my wife. Because I'm like, bro, that's my lady. That's my, that's my baby. That's, that's my wife. Not only is that my wife, that's my money. But here's the deal. I'm not going to cut my wife off just because I have to cut him off. See, I can't trust him with $1,000, but I can trust guy number two with $1,000. And so because I trusted him with 1000 and he gave 2000 guess what? Now I'm going to give guy number two, guy number three's money because he can be trusted, but nothing will ever be trusted until it's tested. And tithing is a test. So what these three guys are telling me is how much they love me. But more importantly, they're telling me how much they love my wife. And Jesus said, I got to go away for a while. While I'm gone, I'm going to need you to take care of my wife. And my wife is the church. And so God has required us to take care of his church. And can you imagine how personally he takes it when you don't take care of his wife? That's what we're doing every time we get paid. We're telling Jesus what we think of him and we're telling him what we think of his wife.
I wonder, what are you telling him today? Would you close your eyes all across this place? Listen, first and foremost, before we go any further, before you can tell him what you think of him with your money, you gotta tell him what you think of him with your heart. And that's what salvation is. Some of you came in here and you're not ready to tithe. You're not ready to tithe because you're not a Jesus person. People who aren't Jesus people, they don't tithe. And so you're here today and you say, I'm not a Jesus person. That means you don't have a relationship with him. You and him aren't in good standing. But the good news is you can leave here in good standing with him and it's really easy to make that happen. In just a minute, I'm gonna ask for people to do two things. First is with nobody looking around in a minute, I'm gonna ask for people to raise their hand and make eye contact with me to tell me that they're not in relationship with Jesus, but they'd like to be. And then secondly, I'm gonna ask you to pray a prayer with me like everybody in here is gonna repeat it after me. So you can repeat it with them. So if you're here and you say, Sean, I don't have a right relationship with Jesus. We're not in right standing, but I wanna be before I leave this place with nobody looking around. Would you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now so I can pray with you? Thanks, 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 thanks. Thanks, thanks. Thanks. I'm gonna ask everybody in here to say these words. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. Make me like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, would you just do us one favor? Take that hello card, tear the bottom part off, fill it out, check the yellow part that says I'm choosing to follow Jesus. You can put it in the buckets when they come around in a minute, or you could take them to the Welcome Center. We just want the opportunity to pray for you. I'm gonna ask you, let's just close your eyes and listen. Don't leave yet, because we're not done. Pastor Sonny's gonna close us out here in just a minute. But I wonder if you're here and you noticed that there was a little puzzle piece that I left on your seat. I left that there because you're about to take a test. I'm gonna call it the tithing test. See, here's the deal. A lot of you come here and you consume, but you don't contribute. 18% of the people who call Life Church home tithe, 18%. That's it. That means 82% of you are stealing from God. 82% of you are coming here drinking up all the coffee, using up all the paper towels, dirtying up the floors. It's fine. It's fine for us, but it's not fine for you. So here's, I'm gonna do something that I've never done except obviously for first service. I gave you this puzzle piece because if you're not tithing, there's something missing from your life. On the back of that puzzle piece is the word blessing. The, the, the piece of your blessing that's missing is, is giving your tithe. And so here's the test. If you are a person in this place and you do not tithe, and what I mean by that, I don't mean you put 20 bucks in the bucket when it comes around. I mean, you don't tithe meaning when you get paid every other week or whenever you get paid, you do not give the first 10, the first 10% of your income to God. If you don't do that, you're not tithing. And so here's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask you to take this puzzle piece. If you, if you wanna do it, if you don't wanna do it, leave the piece. Somebody else will use it. If you're not a tither, I gave you this puzzle piece because I want you to take it and put it in your purse, put it in your pocket, take it home to remind you because I'm gonna give you a test for the next 12 months, if you are not a tither, I'm going to ask you to start tithing. But here's the return. I've never done this. If you will tithe every time you get paid for the next 12 months and God does not bless you, I will double your money. 
Here's what that means. If you make $50,000 a year and you write $5,000 worth of checks to the church and at the end of 12 months, you can come to me, make an appointment with me. You can sit down and you can honestly say, I did it. I gave the five grand. God didn't bless me. I will write you a check for $10,000. No questions asked. Literally what I'm telling you is you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. This is a better investment than the NASDAQ, This is a better investment than going to Vegas or playing the Powerball. This is your instantaneous way for you to test God and see if your money, listen to me, I guarantee you nobody will be able to come to me and say it. But if they do, I will double your money. Does that make sense? And so this is your test. If you are willing to test God and you will tithe every time you get paid for the next year, I want you to take this puzzle piece home with you. If you won't, leave the puzzle piece because somebody else is going to get the blessing. And so God, we love you and we value you. Thank you that you are a God who abundantly, exceedingly blesses us more than we can ever ask for. So I thank you for my friends, many of whom are about to start tithing for the very first time. I pray the blessings will flow in heaps in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to lifechurchgreenbay.com to download today.